Hi, I'm Chrissy. I'm Joss. And you're listening to Breaking the Curtain, the podcast where we interview our theater idols and chat all about the history behind your favorite musicals. So sit back, relax, and enjoy enjoy the episode. episode. Hi, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Breaking the Curtain. I'm Chrissy. And I'm Jocelyn. And once again, we are super excited to have you here with us in our podcast Mm. world. That's a new term for me, but I think I'm going to roll with it. I like that. Because, you know, we're not in the room together. We're just in your ears. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Which is very, very good because today we are chatting with a sound designer. Yes. It's very exciting. This is the first ever sound designer we have ever had on Breaking the Curtain. And... He's Tony nominated. We had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with the wonderful Taylor J. Williams to talk about his Tony nominated sound design on Ain't No Mo. Ain't No Mo unfortunately had a short Broadway run. So I know that Chrissy and myself, we didn't get to see it. We weren't super familiar with the play itself. And we also weren't super familiar with the job of a sound designer and all that that entails. So this was a wonderful uh, learning opportunity for the two of us. And we hope that you leave this interview learning something new about the wonderful world of sound design. All right, so welcome to Breaking the Curtain, Taylor. We always love to start with an introduction for our guests. Would you mind telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Taylor Williams. I am a Broadway sound designer and electronic musician. So usually that's keyboard programming and building sounds for musicals. Uh, but this season, I was uh, I had the great fortune of being able to be the co-sound designer along with Jonathan Deans on Ain't No Mo. Fabulous. And you received a Tony nomination for your work on Ain't No Mo. Congratulations. Thank you. It's crazy. What was it like receiving your nomination for Best Sound Design of a Play? I was sitting in Cambodia with my wife. So it was the afternoon. It wasn't one of those early morning stories you hear about from so many (laughs) nominees. And we were watching on our iPad. And um, yeah, it was just sort of unbelievable. It, it, It um. You know, I've, I've worked in this wonderful community for about 10 years, maybe a little longer now, um, but never in a lane that is eligible for this kind of recognition. And that's been fine. I didn't get into it for the Tonys. I didn't get into it for anything other than loving theater and storytelling. Um, so to have sort of switched hats a little bit um, and to have had this happen uh, on my first go out as a sound designer, as a proper sound designer, is still very unbelievable. And I just feel extremely fortunate. Wow. That's incredible. I was looking at your resume, but we didn't know it was your first time doing sound design specifically. That is absolutely amazing and incredible. So you are the first sound designer we have ever had on our podcast. Would you like to tell everybody what a sound designer does and a little bit about your process with working on Ain't No Mo? Absolutely. So a sound designer, um, is really responsible for making sure that you could hear everything that's happening in the theater. Um, but it's become a little more complicated than that over the years. Um, so it's not just about keeping uh, music elements and stage elements and, and and whatnot in sync. There's also the creation of sound effects sometimes. Um, sometimes it's just ambiances that let you know that you're somewhere special. It heightens theater. It heightens the storytelling. Um, sometimes it's composition. There's original music and sound designers will be responsible for that. So it's a lot of things that make sure that you're not being pulled out of the story saying, huh, what was that? Or, you know, this doesn't feel believable in any way. Um, 
So the process for this was Jonathan Deans, who is now a four-time Tony Award nominee um, and just an absolute legend in the theater world. Um, he he got asked to do the show and he read the script and he said, okay, this is stuff that I can do. I could do every every little bit of what's in here, but it it might not be right for me to do it alone. There might be something that I miss. Ain't No Mo is a show about black culture. It's about mm -hmm. um, every black person in America being offered a one-way plane ticket back to Africa rather than dealing with the struggles of existing in the U.S., um, you know, as a black person. So he said, let me call somebody um, and, and expand the team. And I was the person he called, and I thought that he was asking me for recommendations. And so I said, oh, you definitely want to work with this person or this person. Have you tried, you know? Um, and he said, well, you know, what about you? And, and I knew that if he trusted me to do it, I was ready. I've known Jonathan for a long time. He's been such a wonderful guide throughout my career. And it was really cool because he didn't ask me to come in, uh, as a token. It wasn't just, oh, we need somebody black on the team so we don't get in trouble. It was really, will you come and bring some of yourself to this process? And we, we treated it like Lennon and McCartney. You know, if there was a thing that I did on my own, that was fine. If there was a thing he did on his own, that was fine. But we came together and we listened to everything together and, and we made every decision together. So everything's marked Lennon McCartney, no matter what the genesis was. Um, and oh gosh, it was just such a special, special journey. Ain't No Mo was actually history making as a Broadway show, but it did have a very short Broadway run. So you've told us a little bit about the story. So for those of us like Chrissy and myself or people listening who didn't have a chance to see it, can you kind of elaborate on it a little bit more in terms of story, of theme, of its place in this past Broadway season? Yeah, so Ain't No Mo is history making because Jordan E. Cooper, our playwright, is the youngest ever playwright on Broadway. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that this piece was finished and ran at the public theater before the pandemic. Mm. So he would have set an even harder to beat record, um, <laughs> had, had COVID not, not slowed him down a little bit. Um, but the show is a series of vignettes or, or small separate scenes that sort of look at different people in different circumstances contemplating whether or not to take this plane ticket. Um, so you might have somebody who's at a community center in line for an abortion. You have uh, you have people at church uh, celebrating the election of Barack Obama, but really mourning the the right to complain that that black people perhaps had um, you know a monopoly on uh, because of course once once Obama was our president, everything was going to work out all right for black people. Um, and and so you've got these wonderful scenes and they are interspliced with Jordan as Miss Peaches um, or, or Peaches, rather, who is uh, the flight attendant and gate agent who is sort of guiding the audience through what's happening in the evening. It's a really magical piece of theater. And yeah, it was it was short lived on Broadway because it's very tough for for shows to find an audience, any show, um, particularly new shows without um, IP that's that's come from somewhere else where people are already familiar with it, or star power where you might say, I'm definitely going to go see this show because I love this, this performer already. Um, but in the time that we were there, I would sit in the back of the theater and just watch audiences uh, change. You know, they had a great time. The, the sh as soon as the house is open, we played this wonderful mix uh, that was custom made for us by DJ Spidatech. And you would just see people dancing um, during that first scene in the church. People would stand up on their feet. They would shout. They would they would interact in a really cool way. And I think some people didn't know that they were allowed to do that in the theater before. And mm -hmm. so I'm very happy that the piece has moved on to licensing so that 
a lot of people have a chance to put it on, bring it to their communities and and share the power of this piece. Absolutely. We're doing some reading that, you know, the show actually ended up extending due to, you know, demand from fans. And it really seemed like the people who saw it were just really quite taken with it. So thank you for sharing a little bit about what it's about so that everybody can listen. And if it's open for licensing, hopefully go find a production of it near them shortly. When it comes to creating the soundscape for the show, you were working with Jonathan Deans, like you said, what were some of your priorities as a sound designer? What were some of the things that were very important for you to incorporate? Yeah, so I, when I first got on the phone with Stevie Walker Webb, our fearless director, and Jordan Cooper and Jonathan, we all had a Zoom together. We were spread across the world. And, um, you know, I didn't want to come with my hands swinging, as they say. I wanted to have some ideas so that they knew that I had done my my homework. And I was really interested in the idea of finding a through line. Like, what is the what is the sonic signature that we could have in each of these these vignettes mm-hmm. that's going to let people know, you know, this has been thought of and well crafted, and, and you're in good hands, and and you know, you'll make some connections here and feel something at the end of the show. And the thing that I kept coming to was taking songs that are um steeped in black history that are that are from the black tradition um or you know from from various black traditions that we know most popularly through white performers so sloop john b is a song that we know the beach boys did but really that's a that's an old caribbean song it's about it's a bahamian song um that used to just be sung on the beaches um you know, uh, Carl Perkins uh, with Hound Dog or Blue Suede Shoes, and and we know the Elvis version, and so on and so forth. And I was really chomping at the bit to explore all of these, rearrange them, and sort of play with the idea of what is Black in the U.S. and what is now part of, uh, you know, the entire, you know, U.S. culture. Um, But as soon as I got on the phone, I just listened first. And I'm so glad that I did. Because I've said, you know, Stevie Walker Webb has such a sense of the show. He and Jordan worked on it for so long and have lived with it that as soon as you throw something at them, if it's if it doesn't ring true, they know it. And it's not that your idea is a bad one. It's just they know for this production of the show what is right and what isn't. Uh, they wanted they wanted me to be in the um, in the rehearsal room a lot. And so. It was really cool once I was back in the city to to go into the rehearsal room and an idea would just come up and we would write a song and it might get cut from the show, but like it was just sort of a very exploratory process and they knew immediately if it was right or if it wasn't. So that was that was sort of what I brought to the table and then how I how I allowed it all to change. But it was really cool being led around by them because it brought me into places and, and achievements that I didn't know that I had in me or that I wouldn't have discovered otherwise. Mm-hmm. Did this show pose any specific challenges for you yeah that's a great question um yes it did and um yeah so the show right after we open in the church um there's a newsreel so we go from you know the jubilance of of obama having been elected um and we create this this dramatic irony of hearing just you know that elation and sort of throwing you down on the ground with with so many other things um Trayvon Martin's The Insurrection, uh, Breonna Taylor, you know, the list goes on uh, to make sure that we mind the best quotes that would reach the audience quickly and 
and really overwhelm the audience, let them know that these aren't isolated experiences, but you know, there was a litany of of tragedies that, you know, that we have to that we have to hold up against Obama's election. Um I had to go through hours and hours of of clips, some of which I'd heard before, some of which I had avoided hearing. You know, there were there were times that it was just too much and I didn't need to hear another um, you know, police blotter. Um so going back through those was really was really tough. I would sit in this room and just sort of start crying and I would pause everything and step out of the room and my wife would say, are you okay? And I would say, yep, I just, just doing work. Um, and I would need to breathe it out. So yeah, there was a lot to, to exercise, um, in the process, but once we were in the theater, it was all, it was all joy. Even the dark moments of the show we were sharing together. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was really just that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. On the flip side of that, what do you think you're most proud of when it comes to your work on this production? Oh, Miss Bag, Miss Bag, Miss Bag, Miss Bag. So <laughs> uh, there is this bag that is just not literally hovering, but in my mind, she's just there. She predominates um, the stage and she is the repository for every bit of the black experience. Um, that that these people who are traveling back to Africa need to need to check at the gate um, and it'll meet them there at their final destination. They're promised. Of course, that's not the way it works out. Uh, corporate America, uh, spoiler alert, uh, refuses to let this bag go. Um, but as as Jordan Cooper, as Peaches is trying to pull this bag off of its plinth and get it onto the plane, there's an interaction between the two. Um, it's it's electric. It's exciting. And it's just Oh gosh, it's it's like a word vomit, but it's like really it's it's a collage, it's music, it's everything. And so for me, I thought of the tradition of the griot from West Africa, these storytellers that kept an oral tradition alive for for generations and generations and said, "Okay, how do we make Miss Bag a griot? What music do we pull from? How do we make sure that we're reaching all different corners?" Um and it's not only music. There there were some quotes um I think there might be a quote Oh, by Langston Hughes, uh, MLK is certainly in there, but we've got Tupac and Biggie, we've got uh, Beyonce, we've got Boys to Men, Stevie Wonder, you know, everything. Um, and we had such a short period of time to to communicate everything. Uh, mm -hmm. There are three short grabs, I think they're three seconds, five seconds, and then 30 seconds. Um, and that was the most difficult thing to create, um, not as emotionally taxing, but certainly high pressure, high stakes, it felt like to me. Mm. Uh, but once it was done, it just felt magical. It felt like it was out of my hands. And it was truly the voice of this, this prop character. Um, and and to me, it helped really to bring her to life along with Adam Honoré's lighting and the bag itself, which is so beautifully designed and the set, it, it just all, you know, the, the whole was greater than the sum of its parts in a way that I'm I'm really proud of. Wonderful. Reaching out to younger people who are listening to this who might be interested in sound design or electronic music design going into this part of theater. What are kind of some words of advice you would have for them? Learn everything. Be curious about everything. Be interested in everything. Be nice to everyone. You know, um, not just nice, but kind. It's, you mm. know, um, nice can be phony, but kind is real. Um, I I grew up acting. I was going to be an actor. There was no question about it. And then I was playing piano a lot. 
And so I was going to be an MD and there was no question about it. And then I moved up to New York and I found out you could program electronic instruments um, as a career. And so I did that and I still get to play sometimes and I've still gotten to act sometimes. Um, but this is a lane that I've occupied for a while and I've loved it. And I think that had I shut myself off to anything early on, uh, I wouldn't be here. Um, I, I wouldn't be Tony nominated. I wouldn't, you know, be having a conversation with you. Um, so it's, it's really important, I think, to just stay open to everything. Um, we don't know what jobs are going to exist in the theater in 10 years. Everybody's worrying about AI, um, mm -hmm. and how it's going to replace people. But like, we have to remember there are also ways technology has, has, you know, uh, increased the number of roles that can, that can be a part of a Broadway show. Um, I know that you you two went and saw Moulin Rouge, um, mm. and and you know working on that the the passerelle the the bridges that close down in that cabaret section, um, the the people who are flying, you know at the end of the Elephant Love Medley, like all these all these things are jobs that we just wouldn't have had on Broadway fifty years ago, um, mm -hmm. and it takes a whole village. I mean, there's a city of people working over there at the Hirschfeld um, to bring that show every night. So if you want to work on Broadway, if you want to be in the theater, um, just just be in love with the theater, be passionate about the theater and stay around it and there will be opportunities. I love that. Thank you. Beautifully said. Thank <laughs> and you. And my last question, it's in the similar vein, but it is for theater companies who might be looking at Ain't No Mo, which is out for licensing. Uh, what kind of words would you have for people who are considering this as a production for them to put on at their local theater. Yeah. I think, I think just sit with the script, you know, everybody, every person needs to, needs to read it through, needs to marinate in it, needs to just, gosh, I got the script and it said a comedy and I read it and there was nothing funny about it to me. And I don't just mean it didn't hit my sense of humor. There was just too much that was heavy and sad. And it wasn't until I, I stepped in the rehearsal room and saw what these wonderful actors were able to do, saw what Stevie was able to pull out of them. But I said, oh, this can be funny, you know, and that was surprising to me. So get the script, read it, read it, read it, and then put it away and read it again and, and look at it in a different way. And I think that everything that needs to happen, lighting wise, sound wise, set design wise, will all spring forth from understanding what has been so perfectly put on the page by Jordan. Um, yeah, the, 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 the play will tell you what you need to do. You just have to be willing to don't fight it. Don't, <laughs> don't fight it no more. Let it lead. Fabulous. Well, Love thank that. you yeah. so much for your time today. Congratulations again on your Tony nomination. Yes, congratulations. Uh, we will definitely <gasps> be thinking of you over the next couple of weeks as we approach June 11th. June 11th. Uh, yeah. June 11th. This is a big night. So really, congratulations. Thank you so very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with both of you. And I love the show. So keep it up. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Congratulations again. And best of luck with everything you're doing in the future. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.